Good morning. Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us and those of you watching online from wherever you are in the world. Just thanks for spending time with us today. It's exciting to be here in this awesome movie theater to worship God. Uh, we believe that our vision from God as a congregation is to be the spiritual crossroads of the South Park community, leading people to life rich in Christ, because we believe that Jesus makes all the difference in our lives, and, and we just want to help other people connect to God. And we're excited to be worshiping here in Regal Cinemas Phillips Place as we're rebuilding our campus, which is right across the street from the South Park Mall. And we're going to be here a couple of years while we do that. And, you know, part of that vision is for uh, the secular and the spiritual worlds, worlds to kind of intersect. And so we're, what better place to worship God than a movie theater uh, on a Sunday morning? And so we're glad you found your way here again or from online. I just hope this will be a, a blessing uh, to you today. And just thank you so much for being here. Uh, before we jump into Batman Under the Red Hood, uh, just invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's Word today, that we would all hear it and allow God's story to become part of our story. So let's just pray about that briefly together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a little boy growing up, one of my favorite shows to watch on television was Batman. And it was the corny, the hokey, Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman, and Robin. We've got a picture. You might have seen some of this stuff. And when they were fighting the Joker and the Penguin, they'd have the big words, pow, and kapow come up on the screen. And Batman would fight rubberized sharks and all kinds of stuff. And it was just a really silly, fun show. But my brother and I would dress up like Batman and Robin and go around the house and try to rescue everybody. And so it was just a great time growing up. But as I've gotten older now, it's interesting to see how DC Comics, the owner and proprietor of, of the Batman brand and franchise, has kind of moved back from the silliness of that television show more to the roots of the comic book as they make new comic books and new movies and, and things like that, going back to the darker side of the Batman story. Bruce Wayne was a young boy, and he was coming uh, home from the movies with his parents, and they were robbed, and his parents were brutally killed right in front of him. And that, of course, changes the rest of his life. And long story short, he, he grows up and he becomes Batman. He puts on this, this costume to scare fear into criminals and to fight crime and try to make up, I guess, for what happened to his parents. And, uh, and we lose sight of some of that darkness in that silly kind of cartoony kind of show. But the new movies and the new comic books and, and even today's movie, which has not been shown in theaters, Batman Under the Red Hood, was released directly to DVD because it deals with the darker side of Batman. This is not a movie for children for you to rent and go home and, and show your children. There were some adult themes, and we'll show some clips today that, that are age-appropriate and nothing to scare you off today, but don't, I wouldn't rent it and take it home to your kids, but it deals with the, the reality of good and evil and what that looks like. And so uh, Batman has now facing a new foe that's moved into Gotham City, which kind of represents New York City. And this guy's known as the Red Hood. We've got a picture of Batman facing the Red Hood in this movie. And Batman's not sure what to make of the Red Hood because he's fighting some of the, the bad guys, the other criminals in, in Gotham City. But he's also acting like a criminal. He's taken over the drug trade. And he's not just fighting other criminals like Batman fights other criminals outside of the law, but the Red Hood is killing some of them. And so... 
Batman's going to have to confront him and, and try to figure out what's going on and most likely have to take the red hood down. But that's harder to do than Batman first thinks. Batman's also struggling internally with, with a lot of emotion uh, based on some recent events in his life. The original Robin, Dick Grayson, has grown up into a man and become his own superhero, Nightwing, and, and he's fighting his own crime elsewhere, and sometimes he helps Batman. And, and Batman has, has found a second Robin. His name is Jason Todd. He's just a, a young boy like Dick Grayson was, and he mentors him, and he brings him up into the crime-fighting family. Um, but one day, the Joker, this evil, crazy kind of criminal, captures Robin, and he tortures him. And he beats him savagely with a crowbar and he locks him into a room and he blows up the building and Robin is killed. And this isn't shockwaves across the comic book world. We've got a picture of the cover of one of the comic books where Batman is, is holding a, the dead Robin in his hands. And, and finally, the reality of you know, fighting crime and, and dealing with evil criminals catches up. You know, these young boys are not always going to be able to hold up to that. And so... Batman is living with this death upon his own conscience as he has helped Robin fight crime and brought him into this whole lifestyle and, and he's dealing with that. And, and all these worlds collide now in this story of the Red Hood as kind of to give you a spoiler, kind of give it away. The Red Hood becomes Robin. If you read comic books or you watch movies, you'll know that people who die aren't really ever dead or they come back to life and that kind of thing. And so... Uh, so Robin has been resurrected by one of Batman's enemies and this crazy kind of thing. But long story short, he has come back and he's now evil. And he's full of revenge and he's full of hatred. And he's going to confront Batman at the end of the movie. And I'm going to show you that in just a, a little bit. But before we do, I want to show you this one scene from the movie. It's at the very end of the movie. After Batman has faced all the evil in Gotham City, he's have to dealt with you know, his sidekick being murdered and now he's back alive and he's become an evil person. It's just, just all this just heavy weight in this movie. And it's after we see that Robin has grown up and he's seen the real evil of the world and he's been tortured, he's been killed and he becomes evil himself. And it just, it, it adds a, an extra sting to the end of this movie. Just like, where, you know, where's the hope? Where's the redemption? And, and all of the, the, the exciting dreams and, and, and it ends so badly. But it's so realistic. If you take a child into the world to fight crime, at some point, some evil criminal is going to catch up to them and bad things are, are, are going to happen. And, and that scene is just so bittersweet and it's so biting. And, and you see just the naive, and how naive that, that Robin is. And even how naive Batman is to bring this young boy along his side and risk his life every day and to see what it turns into. You know, sometimes in our life as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as, as believers in the gospel, I wonder if we're not like Robin and Batman sometimes and that we're naive. And I don't say that to insult you or to insult me or, or Christians around the world, but, but sometimes I do think that in our faith, sometimes we're naive about, about some things. And there's something really cool about Christianity. I think it's awesome. There's a lot of good things to being a follower of Jesus and We've been created in God's image, which is awesome. God has great plans for our lives. He, he wants us to be a part of something bigger than who we are. And he's given us gifts and talents and abilities to make the world a better place. And the Bible says Jesus came to give us life to the full and to live an abundant life while we live here on the earth. And, 
And he also gives us the promise of heaven that one day we'll live forever in the kingdom of heaven where there is no suffering and there's no pain. And it's a big family reunion with God and the people that we love and we care about. And, and in this life, we can find forgiveness when we mess up and we do wrong things. And, and we can have our guilt and our shame that weigh us down taken away. And we can truly have joy and, and inner peace in our lives and, and love and just all these amazing things about following Jesus. I mean, that's why I'm in and giving my life to God. But, but I think sometimes that we naively think that all those good things that come with God that when we give our lives to Christ and we become a follower of Jesus, that that also means that on top of all these other good things is that we're no longer going to have problems, that God's going to come in and take care of everything and, and our pain and our suffering are going to be gone in this life. And, and, you know, when we give our lives to Jesus, that everything's going to be a perfect life from now on. And that's great and that's wishful thinking, but, but that is naive and it's not true. Because I know a lot of Christians... I know a lot of Christians in our own congregation who, who I'm close with and, and, and go through life with don't live perfect lives without pain and, and without suffering. Just yesterday, we said goodbye to one of our uh, lifelong members of our church, was a member of our church for over 40 years, Bob Kirkley, and just a blessed soul. And yesterday, we celebrated his life at his memorial service, and there was a lot to celebrate, but it also leaves us grieving as we miss Bob, even though he's in heaven with God today. This month marks the one-year anniversary for a couple of widows in our, in our congregation as they've lost their husbands last year. I reached out to them and tried to comfort them knowing that the, there's got to be a lot of mixed emotions of you know, the joy of them being in heaven and all the wonderful memories, but probably still missing them very dearly a year into it. I know there are people in our congregation right now who are, who are sick and battling illnesses. We got people in our congregation who are battling terminal illnesses and others who, who have loved ones who are sick and it doesn't look like that there's any hope for them to get better. We've got people in our congregation right now who are unemployed. We got people in our congregation who are literally homeless. We have marriages that are on the rocks and people are fighting for their marriages right now in our congregation. We've got people who are, are distant from their, their children or, or they're dealing with financial struggles or they're unemployed in it. That's all going on right now in our congregation. And I know that there are thousands, there are millions of Christians around the world who are praying to God right now saying, I'm in pain or my child's in pain or my spouse is in pain or my best friend's in pain. And God, I want you to come in and, and do something about that. I know that the parents today around the world, millions of them praying, Lord, I just want some food for my child so that they will be able to eat today. And some of them are going to pray to God, God, spare my child another day to live. And yet 22,000 children today will starve to death around our world. 22,000 children today will starve to death around the world. Many of them will be Christians and their parents are praying for God to, to, to give them food for their children so they won't die. And yet they will die anyway. In my dark moments of doubt, those are the things that I think about. Why aren't they saved? Why are they starving? Why are they suffering? Two weeks ago when I was at the beach on vacation with my family, we went to a Methodist church in Moorhead City and had a great time and were well received and it was an awesome worship service. And during the service, a young girl raised a prayer request for her family, for 
her cousins and her aunts and aunt and uncle. And there were several cousins who were in this nuclear family. And she said, my cousin, nine-year-old cousin, didn't wake up today and died. I've got a nine-year-old son who was sitting right beside me in the pew. And I'm thinking, if he didn't wake up today, I would have a serious problem with God. Christians, we're not immune from pain or suffering. Pain and suffering is, is a reality. It's a part of life. It happens to Christians. It, it happens to non-Christians. Right? It, because we live in a broken world, we, God has given us the gift, the wonderful blessing of free will to choose to do what we will. But it's also a, t- a double-edged sword. And sometimes we choose to do things that bring pain and suffering into our lives, our own lives. Sometimes... Other people do things with their free will to bring pain and suffering into our lives when we've done nothing to deserve it. And sometimes we don't do anything. Other people don't do anything. Sometimes things just happen like a tree falls on our car and kills our spouse and and we walk away scot-free. And it just happens. Pain and suffering are a part of our world because we live in a broken world and we're not in heaven yet. And sometimes I think we forget that our leader, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, certainly knew what pain and suffering was all about. He left the glory of heaven to come to earth to help us. He was God. He was man at the same time. He taught, he preached, he did miracles. And how was he repaid? He was betrayed by one of his best friends. His other best friends deserted him. He was arrested for something that he didn't do. He was tortured and he was nailed to a tree in the shape of a cross. This is what happened to our leader. How do we expect that we're not going to run into pain and suffering when our leader himself went through that? Sometimes, brothers and sisters, I think we forget what the cross represents. When we wear our beautiful silver and gold and platinum crosses on our, our necklaces and we, we have our beautiful painted wooden crosses on the walls of our homes and, and we have you know, the, the tattoos of the Celtic crosses on our arms and our backs and our shoulders and people say, wow, that's a beautiful cross, man, that's awesome. And you know, there's nothing wrong with all this. But I think when we sanitize the cross, we forget what Jesus went through on the cross. It was torture. It was pain. It was execution. It'd be like me wearing a necklace with, a, with an electric chair on it today. You probably look at that thing. What are you doing, dude? That's just crazier. If I had like a big syringe with a needle and it had poison in it, you know, like they do to kill prisoners in the, the lethal injection, right? That's what the cross was. It was a means of execution. Jesus knew what suffering and pain was and we clean it up and we sanitize it and and we forget that side of it. That pain and suffering is not taken away because we're Christians. Now, we usually don't tell you that when we invite you down to the altar call, do we? It's like, whoa, that's heavy stuff. And you're probably thinking, wow, what a cheery sermon. I'm glad I showed up today. Whoa, this is great. But there's hope, so let's look for it. We're going to be looking at the Bible today, mostly in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. It's a letter that Paul, 
the guy who wrote most of the New Testament in the first century, he wrote to a church that was in Rome, right? So he wrote it to the Romans. We're going to be in Romans most of the time. You got your Bibles with you. Love you. I had to pull out your book light or if you got it on your tablet or your phone, you know, feel free to jump around and, and read the scripture. Just look on the screens here. But uh, let's jump in and see what Paul has to say. He says in Romans 8, 17, now if we're children, then we're heirs. If we're children of God, we're going to inherit from God. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, right? Jesus inherited, we're going to inherit. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that in order we may also share in his glory. So we want to share in the glory of heaven. We want to share in the glory of living life to the full. But that also means that we're going to have to suffer. Jesus suffered, our leader suffered. If we follow a man who suffered, odds are we're going to suffer ourselves. And so here's where I need to make a distinction. There are different types of suffering in the world. There's suffering that happens to all of humans, right? We have physical breakdowns and, and, and hurts and boo-boos and broken arms and dealing with diseases. And we have emotional suffering. We, we're bullied. We have financial stress. We have stress with our bosses at work and, and all kinds of things like that. And so there's just suffering for being a human being. But there's also suffering for being a Christian. When we follow Jesus, it means that we also invite a different type of suffering on top of all the other suffering we're doing. It's amazing that there's billions of Christians in the world when you really stop and think about this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So again, it doesn't mean because we're a Christian, we get cancer. Because we're a Christian, we get bullied. Because we're a Christian, we lose our job. Because we're a Christian, our spouse cheats and runs off on us. That's not what I'm talking about. Because we're a Christian... We're going to face persecution. That's why those people in ISIS are trying to kill people who are Christian because they don't agree with what we believe. Right? Now, the persecution that we face in America is a lot different. It's a lot less stressful, I would think. It's more of a social kind of persecution. We might be made fun of in school if we have a different morality than other kids in doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. We might, we might be looked down upon in our neighborhood or our cul-de-sac or at work if our morality, because we follow Jesus, is different than the culture and, and we don't do everything that our, our neighbors and friends and colleagues want us to do. Or maybe they think we're crazy. We're spending our time here on Sunday morning or giving our money to the church or volunteering our service hours and when we could be doing other things. And so our persecution is a little bit more social Less we're going to get our heads cut off, but, uh, but yet it's still persecution. Or like my friend who works in corporate America here in Charlotte, high-paying job, high-ranking, successful employee until he made the mistake of having a prayer at one of his business meetings right before the meeting started. He was demoted before the end of the week because you just don't pray at work, right? So there's persecution. There's suffering for being a follower of Jesus. Jumping back to Paul, Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We do have heaven to look forward to, and it's awesome. It's going to be a place where there are no tears, there's no pain, there's no anxiety, there's no suffering, and it's going to be a big family reunion with God and each other and just having fun for the rest of eternity. And you know who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? That's awesome. We look forward to that. That's our hope. But what about now? We're going to have some hope now. Can we have good things happen now? What about dealing with pain and suffering in this life? Because didn't you just say, Pastor Kyle, that Jesus came to give us life to the full, gave us abundant life in this life? Yeah, absolutely. So we continue in Romans, this time chapter 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now that is a lot to digest. We glory in our suffering. 
Now, I want to get behind the, the English words to the Greek words that this was originally written in. It doesn't mean that we are grateful for our suffering. It doesn't mean to say, thank you, God, for giving me cancer. I just love it. It's awesome. Thank you, God, that, you know, my spouse ran out on me with uh, somebody at work and, that, you know, my heart being ripped out. That's just awesome. Thank you, God, that the bully pulled the underwear over my head in front of all my friends and my girlfriend today. And, and he did it, you know, for the fifth time this year, right? We, we're not glorifying in that suffering. It means that we give God glory in the midst of suffering. While we're going through suffering, we know that God is with us and God is going to bring something better out of it. And we can look back in our lives to times that were in our past and, and when we were facing a difficult situation, we thought there's no way we can get through this, and yet we did. And we're reminded that when we suffer, that we persevere, we get through it. When we persevere, it builds character. We become stronger. And when we have character, we have hope. If we've been through suffering and pain one time, we can get through suffering and pain again. Sometimes we just forget all of that. And our pain and suffering is so intense that we forget that, wow, you know what? God, you're right here with me. You're going to do something. You got me through it before. You're going to get me through this, God. Thank you for giving me the hope that this is not the end all be all of my relationship or my existence. Romans 8, 28, one of the favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Now, I want to be real clear. God doesn't cause suffering. Right? God doesn't give us cancer. God doesn't send someone to break up with us and break our hearts. Right? God doesn't send the bully into our life. But God will take those circumstances and He will bring good out of them. We can't see what that is, especially when we're in the midst of it, but one day we'll be able to look back and say, God was with me. God helped me move forward. And actually God brought something good into my life through this. Jesus' words himself, John chapter 16. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. To have peace inside of us, inner peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. That might be the temptation to say, well, duh, Jesus, of course we're going to have trouble. To me, it's comforting to know that Jesus knows exactly what we are going through because he left heaven. He became a human. He was here on the earth. He says, you know what? There's going to be parts of your life that stink and there's going to be trouble. But don't despair because I have overcome the world. I came back to life. I defeated wrongdoing and guilt and shame and death and hell, right? I have come back to life. I will give you life to the full. I will give you eternal life. I will help you deal with your pain and your suffering. Yes, there's trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. So be at peace inside. And who better to know this than Jesus? You think about the best example of how God takes suffering and pain and transforms it into something better, it's Jesus. Right? Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, left heaven to earth to help us. And how do we repay Him? We betrayed Him. We sold Him out. We abandoned Him. We tortured Him. We killed Him. Right? God's Son dying. I can't imagine how that would feel right? as a father. Right? Anyone that we love dying, a good person dying, and yet God used that. God used that in that resurrection of Christ to give you and me access back to God, to being in a right relationship and all those good things that I've been talking about. He resurrected Jesus, and now Jesus rules over the universe, and he sits on the throne of heaven. Right? 
He got through it. God used it. And now we have an opportunity to be in a loving personal relationship with God, to be a part of something bigger than who we are, to make a difference in the world, to live life to the full, and to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And God sent Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to help us deal with, make sense of, and move through pain and suffering. Now here's one point. If you remember anything today, it's coming up. I want you to to remember what I'm getting ready to say. This is the thing I invite you to tweet, to Snapchat, to Instagram, to Facebook, to talk about at lunch, to tell your neighbor about, to whatever you do to communicate. This is what I encourage you to, to, to listen to today. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit our pain. If we do not transform our pain and our suffering, we will transmit our pain. And usually we transmit that to the people that we love the most. If we don't transform our pain, we will transmit our pain forward to the people that we love the most. Who is it that becomes an abuser physically, emotionally, sexually? Usually it's someone who has been abused and is so angry and frustrated and upset and dealing with pain and suffering has not transformed that, so they just pass it on to someone else. That's why we have road rage, right? Why is it that someone will chase a stranger down, pull them out of their car, physically beat them up, maybe even kill them because they blew their horn at them? or because they they were sitting at a stoplight and sat there for five seconds after it turned green and didn't go fast enough, right? Are we really going to pull somebody out of their car and beat them up because they waited five seconds because the light was green or they blew a horn at us or they cut us off in traffic? No, we're not chasing people down for that. We're not beating people up for that. We're not killing people for that. We're doing that because we are broken and we're hurting and we're carrying around pain that we have not transformed. And so we're going to pass it on to somebody else. That's why people get mad at people who are cashiers and and clerks or or waiters and waitresses in restaurants having a screaming fit for 10 minutes because you didn't put the right amount of ketchup on the right side of the bun that I asked you to. It's not the screaming about the ketchup that's the problem. It's the pain and the anger and the non-transformed pain that's inside of us that we're passing on to somebody else. I'm reading a book about family systems because I want to be a better parent and always trying to strive to be a better parent. And and the the premise in this is that if there's someone in the family that's in trouble or things are not going well and, and they're having to seek help or counseling because of emotional challenges or learning challenges or dealing with drugs or something, it's, you know, this is the one person, you know, little Johnny's in trouble at school and he's gotten in into some drugs. He's not learning real well, you know. Well, let's take little Johnny. We'll take him to the counselor and the counselor's going to fix little Johnny, but this premise is it's not just Johnny. You need to take the whole family in, the parents and the siblings, because it's a system that affects it. It might not be Johnny's problem at all. It might be the, the, the parent who comes home from work and is so stressed out at work and doesn't know how to deal with that stress in a healthy way that they light into their family when they get home. And then, then, then the little boy then is stressed about it and so turns to drugs or, or is so you know, upset about what's happening at home, can't focus at school. It's not his issue. It's the dad's issue or the mom's issue, or maybe they're having issues, or maybe it's the big brother or sister who's having issue and it's affecting the family. And so when we don't transform our pain, brothers and sisters, we transmit it, we transfer it. And usually we bring pain to the people we love the most. It's real. Jason Todd has not transformed his pain, his suffering, He wants vengeance on the joker. 
Probably rightly so, but he wants to cross the line and to kill him. In fact, he wants Batman to cross the line and to kill him. He wants to drag down the one that he really loves, Batman, like a father figure to him. He's like, I'm in misery, I'm in pain and suffering, and I want to drag you down. And that's not consciously going on in his head, but that's what's happening. He hasn't transformed his pain, and so he's wanting to bring his friend down with him. But Batman has found a way to transform his pain and to move beyond what happened to his parents and, and all the evil that he's seen. And, and there's a line that he will not cross because he knows that when he crosses that, he's not coming back. Now, odds are, I'm sure we're nowhere near a situation like Batman and the Red Hood and wanting to kill somebody and all that sort of thing. But there's some of us here today who have a lot of violence that we've been victims in our lives. Some of that's been physical, some of it's emotional, some of it's relational. We're all here today, and we all know what pain and suffering is like. And if we're not careful, if we're not able to transform that, then we're going to go down a spiral that we don't want to go down, and we might bring some of the people that we love the most with us. But that's not what Jesus wants. God wants us to be able to transform our pain and our suffering into something better and to move beyond it and to live life to the full. So the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we invite God to transform our pain? How do we invite God to transform our sufferings? Well, let me just give you some options maybe to think about. I think first thing that we do is that we got to face it. So you know what? I'm in pain. I'm in physical pain. I'm in spiritual pain. I'm in emotional pain. I'm being abused, you know, to face it and, and to say this stinks. This is not what, what I want to be happening in my life. Jesus knew that the cross was coming and, and he went into a garden called Gethsemane and, and he prayed about it and, and he, he, he wrestled with it and, 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 and he was like praying so hard that it says his sweat was like blood and he was saying to God, God, man, if, if anything, I don't want to do this and if there's any way for me to get out of it, get me out of it. I'll do what I need to do, but God, I'm just, I'm not looking forward to this. And so we face it. I think we also wrestle with it. Again, to say it stinks. This is not fair. I, you know, I don't like being here. It's, it's uncool. Right? Jesus himself was on the cross and he was dying. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the son of God, had to get it out of his system to his heavenly father. And you know what? God's big enough to handle it. If we're mad, if we're mad at the world, if we're mad at God, then we need to wrestle with that. We need to get it out of our systems and trust that God's big enough to handle it. I think the most important thing that we do when we're suffering, when we're dealing with pain, is we've got to seek God. We say, God, I'm in this pain. I don't like being here. I'm wondering why you're allowing it to happen, but you know what? I need you. I need you to be close to me. I need to lean on you. I need to know, God, that you can send me comfort, that you can send me hope. I need you, God, to help me understand or at least help me survive this. God, I need you to be with me, to give me guidance. God, I need to feel your, your love. And God, I need you to literally ask God, transform this into something good. Get me out of the situation. Make something good come from this. Jesus understands because he's been there. I think we need to seek help. Maybe we need to see a doctor. Maybe we need to see a counselor. Maybe we need to just cry on our, our friend's shoulder or a family member's shoulder. Maybe we need to seek the police or a, a teacher or someone in authority to, to help us get out of a situation in which we're suffering, to call for help. But God gives us all these, these people in our lives and these resources because God cares about us, and so we need to take God up on those. So we need to seek that help. We, we need to look back in our lives, and we need to think, you know, 
There's been times in my life where I've been in pain and I've been in suffering and I never thought I'd get through that, but somehow I did and God got me through that. And thanks be to God, I've persevered and I've grown, I'm stronger and I have hope that in this situation I'm in now, God's gonna get me through this too. I gotta look back and see all the times God got me through it. Or maybe we look back and think, you know what, I was in a bad situation and pain and suffering and I'm still not over that. I'm still upset about that. I haven't transformed that and it's holding me down and I'm bringing the people in my life down and, and this time I want it to be different. I want to make a break from the past. I want to have my pain transformed so that I can let go of the past and I can stop dragging the people around me down and I can, I can let this go. And I think we have to press on and live our lives. You know, I used to believe that that life was kind of like there would be good moments and, and good parts, you know, like a good week or a good month in my life where everything was going well. And there would be bad, bad weeks or bad days or bad moments or, or, or bad months where everything was going wrong. And I would just try to get through that and get to the next good time. But that's not how life works, is it? In my life, there's always something that I don't like going on. There's always something that causes me pain or suffering. And, and there's always something good in my life. If Sometimes I have to look for it and be reminded of that. Right? But, but if I'm waiting for everything in my life to align and everything to be perfect and everyone to like me and, and every production, everything that I do to go well, that's not going to happen. And so we've got to learn to live life as a dual track where something's going well and something not going well. And to say, God, you know what? This part of my life stinks. I'm trusting you with it. I'm turning it over to you. I want you to transform it. But I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the great things that you've given me in my life. I'm going to live my life to the full because that is your will for me. So what pain are you dealing with, brothers and sisters? What's suffering? And what is this? Is this real? Is this really? Can we really see this? I mean, we read about Jesus. We read about the scripture. But does it really happen in real life? A young girl named Johnny Tata was 17 years old and she loved to swim and she loved to hike and she loved to play tennis. And she was at the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. And one day she decided to go swimming and, and she dived headfirst into a part of the, of the bay that she hadn't explored and, and she, she hit the ground and she was paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of her life. She's going to be paralyzed, quadriplegic. First two years of being paralyzed, she was mad and she was upset and she was depressed and understandably so. She was suicidal. She thought about taking her own life. She was a woman of faith, but, but she began to question that. And she was angry at God and she wrestled with that. And, and it was a bad two years for her to try to figure all of this out and struggle. And, and then she began to paint. She put a paintbrush in her mouth and began to paint. And it began to help her to begin to heal and to see that, that her life could, could mean more than being in a wheelchair. And she redevoted her life to God and and soon she began to, to write books and to paint paintings and to record music. And she began to go on tour with Billy Graham and, and speak at, at these evangelical gatherings. And hundreds of thousands, even millions of people heard her speak. And, and now 50 years later, it's her 50th year this year where she's been in a wheelchair. And you look back at her life and, 
And she's published over 50 books and she's, she's recorded all kinds of albums and she's had a movie filmed about her. She's, she's, she has radio shows and she's probably led millions of people to Jesus. She's given away over 100,000 wheelchairs to people who are disabled around the world who can't afford wheelchairs. And she's been an advisor to the, to the, the U.S. government uh, State Department about disability. She advises churches about how to make themselves more welcoming to people with physical disabilities. And, and she's done all of this. She's gotten married and she's lived her life to the full. 2010, she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And you think she'd had enough of being paralyzed from the neck down and all the, the stuff that she's gone through, but she stage three breast cancer. She had to take intensive chemotherapy. She had a mastectomy. And through the grace of God, she survived. And I'm sure there's moments in there thinking, well, why now, God, after all I've been through? But probably moments as well, like, you got me through the wheelchair. You're going to get me through the cancer, right? Just an amazing person of faith. An amazing person of faith. On my worst day, my worst day of pain being a parent or being a spouse or being a pastor or dealing with financial struggles or feeling sick, on my worst day in my life, I can still get out of bed, go for a walk, take a run, hug my children, lift a book up on my step by, to my, myself to read it. I can go to the bathroom by myself. This woman can do none of that. And yet she has joy and she loves her life and she loves pouring into other people. She said, when I was first paralyzed, my prayer was, God, heal me physically, heal me physically, heal me physically, heal me physically. And she says, now 50 years into this, I see that God has healed me, not physically, but in other ways. And she says, I've come to determine it's not about what I've lost, but what I've found. It's not about what I've lost, it's by what I found because this woman has allowed her pain to be transformed by God. And she's changing the world. If God can do that for her, imagine what God can do for you and me. Brothers and sisters, what pain do you have today? What suffering is weighing you down. What is on your heart right now? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it relational? Is it spiritual? Have you been able to turn to God and say, God, this stinks, but I want you to do something with this and, and transform it? Or are you in that trap like so many other people? A trap that I've been in many times in my life where I haven't processed my pain properly and I have passed it on to the people that I care about most. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that Jesus is ready to help us transform our pain and to live life to the full, even though we have problems and pain and suffering as we await the glory of heaven. Brothers and sisters, I ask that you seriously consider, right? We're going to suffer anyway. Why not bring something good out of it? Life is so good, so good, but those moments of pain and suffering seem to overshadow that. Turn to Jesus, transform your pain, and stop passing it on to other people. And be blessed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.